The actor Denzel Washington, a few years back, made this comment at a graduation speech. You'll never see a U-Haul behind a hearse. It doesn't matter how much money you have, you cannot take it with you. It's not how much money you have, it's what you do with what you have. How do we view our material resources? What value do we place on them? How focused on them are we? Do our material resources serve us or do we serve our material resources? This is a question of mastery. Do we serve them or do they serve us? It's ultimately a question of worship. These are diagnostic questions of what we worship, what we place our affections on in this life. This is Jesus' aim in our next section on the Sermon on the Mount. How do we view our material resources? What, in fact, do we worship? So let's turn in our Bibles to Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6, and the Bibles we've provided on your chairs, you can find that on page 811. 811. If you need a copy of the Bible, we'd love to give you one. I mention this every Sunday. We have free Bibles available to you in the lobby, the book, bookshelf closest to the restrooms. You'll find several hardback black Bibles there. Please take one if you need it. Uh, we're continuing in our sermon series in the Gospel of Matthew, specifically the Sermon on the Mount, uh, a sermon series we're entitled that we've entitled The Ways of the King. And so what Jesus does in preaching the Sermon on the Mount is provide an ethic of his kingdom, the qualities, the characteristics of his kingdom, what our lives should be about, the perspective that we should have as we do life as citizens of him, the great king of this kingdom. Matthew 6, beginning in verse 19, I'm going to read through verse 24. Jesus says, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will also be. The eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness? No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Jesus here in the Sermon on the Mount, he's teaching the ethic of his kingdom, the qualities of his kingdom. How should we live this life? What perspective should we have as we go about our lives? What worldview or lenses should we be seeing all things, including our material resources, that's what he's getting at here in the Sermon on the Mount. And in this 
particular part of the Sermon on the Mount, how do we view our material resources? What is a kingdom perspective on money, material resources? The, the, the word behind money in verse 24 is mammon. You might, it's, a, it's a Hebrew, Aramaic word that means material wealth, goods, physical goods. How should we view them? This is ultimately a worship question. And with his words, Jesus is diagnosing the condition of our hearts. As a skillful surgeon takes his scalpel and removes that which is unhealthy, so Jesus, through his words, removes from our hearts that which is unhealthy. Three, really, three diagnostic questions here in this passage. It's broken up. If you have the ESV Bible, there are three paragraphs, and I think that those are fitting. Those are thought units. They all kind of fall under the, the, the overall umbrella of worship. Jesus is helping us diagnose who or what do I worship? Three diagnostic questions that he raises for us here through three paragraphs in 19 through 24. Diagnostic question one, what do I treasure in life? You see that in verses 19 through 21. Diagnostic question number two, where do I fix my eyes? In verses 22 and 23. And then thirdly, third diagnostic question, whom do I serve? Whom do I serve? What do I treasure? Where do I fix my eyes? And whom do I serve? That's an outline of our time this morning. So first, verses 19 through 21, Jesus is raising this question, what do I treasure in life? Let's take a look at what he says Rereading verses 19 through 21, he says, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourself treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will also be. The question here is, what do I treasure? What do I value in my life? All kinds of economic vocabulary here. All, all kinds of investment language here. To lay up, as Jesus says, means to store or to save or to invest. It's an economic word. And treasures here is what you place value upon. All kinds of economic marketplace vocabulary here. He's asking us, what am I investing in through my life? Daily, we all are making investments in one of two places, earthly places or heavenly places. He's asking us, what are we investing in through our lives? He's holding out two very different investment strategies earthly investments and heavenly investments. We need to feel and grasp and appreciate the contrast here, for it is a great one. Seeking earthly treasures, solely making earthly investments in this life is precarious. Why? Well, he says, moth and rust destroy, and not just that, thieves break in and steal. And so when we think about this area of investment, he's cautioning us in three areas. First, this investment is perishable. Moth and rust destroy. It corrodes with rust and moth eat it away like a woolen garment. 
It's perishable. It's penetrable. Thieves break in and steal. It's vulnerable, penetrable. It, 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 it can be taken away from you. Through economic upheaval and inflation, you can see a nest egg dwindle down. We know what this is like. It's perishable. It's penetrable. It's temporal. It does not last. Treasures on earth. The precariousness of investing all of your life in earthly things. Perishable, penetrable, temporal. Versus a second investment strategy. Seeking heavenly treasures, making heavenly investments where moth and rust do not destroy and thieves cannot break in and steal. Contrast, notice the difference here. An imperishable place of investment. Moth and rust do not destroy, moth can't eat, and rust can't corrode. Imperishable, impenetrable. Thieves cannot break in and steal. It's safe. Imperishable, impenetrable, eternal. In heaven. Unfading. Not temporal. Forever. Notice the contrast. Investing solely in this life, those investments are perishable, penetrable, temporal. In heaven, however, imperishable, impenetrable, eternal. It's a vast difference that we're meant to fully grasp and appreciate here, and then to ask ourselves, where am I investing? Where do my affections lie? What am I focused on? Primarily in earthly things that are susceptible to economic risk, recession. We need to be wise stewards with what God entrusts to us. Stewardship is an amazing word. It's an important word. It's all throughout the Bible, particularly in Proverbs. We need to be good caretakers of what God entrusts to us in this life. All of us, whether we realize it or not, are stewards. We are temporary managers of what ultimately begin, belongs to God. Psalm 24, verse 1, the earth is the Lord's and everything therein. So it's all his. He entrusts it to us for a short time. We manage it. We take care of it, and then we'll give an account to him one day. We need to be wise stewards of our earthly treasures. Now, Jesus is not condemning wealth any more than he would condemn food or clothing. All he's saying is, don't worship wealth. Don't worship food. Don't worship clothing. You need to just have the right perspective. Is this a correct quote? Money is the root of all kinds of evil. No, that's an incorrect quote. The true quote from 1 Timothy 6.10 is the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. He's targeting our hearts. Paul does. Jesus before him. What do we worship? What do we put our affections on? It must not be material things. You need to have the right perspective. You need to wisely manage them. Oh, but don't worship them. Don't worship them. Because they will enslave you. In the end, you can't serve two masters. You will be devoted to one, despise the other. It's all about worship and affection. What is an example, practical example, of laying up treasures in heaven through your earthly resources? Well, Jesus helps us, if we just look later in the Gospel of Matthew, a well-known passage, a well-known encounter, Matthew 19, 21, the, the rich young ruler. 
a man with great resources comes up to Jesus? What must I do to seek eternal life? Jesus says, you know the commandments. Honor your mother and father. Do not steal. Do not commit adultery. Do not murder. Don't lie. All these, Lord, I've done. Oh, one thing you lack. Go and sell all you have and give to the poor. You will have treasure in heaven. And that rich young man walks away sorrowful. His countenance falls. What has Jesus done? Jesus has pressed on his idol because what that man was after was his material resources. What he loved the most in this life was his material resources, his money, and he couldn't part with it. So it's ultimate. Jesus is pressing on his idolatry. It's, on heart, it's a hard issue, but there's a very practical application here. What did Jesus ask the guy to do? Give to the poor. Be generous. Now he's speaking in some hyperbole there, give everything you have to the poor, because that was that guy's idol. He's not saying to everybody, give everything that you have. It's sinful to own possession. No, 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 no. But he is saying at a very practical level, are we generous to people in need? A very practical way, a practical example to lay up a treasure for yourself in heaven is to take your earthly treasures and help people in need in the earth. It's a way also to reveal what's in our hearts. Because if we can give generously to people in need, it shows that we are holding our resources with open hands, not white knuckles. Just give to those in need. Are we generous people? Are we a generous church? Am I a generous pastor and person? Are you a generous person with what you have? It's a tangible way that we actually make eternal investments by being open-handed in this life with our things. Jesus says to the man, and you will have treasure in heaven. You will have rewards in heaven if you're generous in this life. Do you give generously from what you have? Or do you hold your things with a white knuckle grip? It doesn't matter what you have. What matters is what you do with what you have. Are we generous? What is the sin behind the sin here? If we could just kind of pull back the curtain a little more. What drives us to chase earthly treasures? To worship our money? I think it's helpful just to see the sin behind the sin. And then they can be multiple here. For many of us, it's fear. It's fear. We fear not having it enough. We trust in our nest eggs, our investment accounts, our bank accounts, our savings, because we're fearful of what may come. Now, Proverbs does say it's be like the ant who stores away for the winter. We need to be wise, but check your heart. Are you looking to that nest egg to comfort you? Or are you looking to the Lord to comfort you? Don't trust in that nest egg. Use it for the right purposes, but don't find your all in all in that. So some of us, it's fear that causes us to gravitate towards our money. For some, it's just simply greed. The insatiable desire for more and more. And for others of us, it's pride and comparison to other people. We feel good about ourselves when we measure higher than other people. So what, what is it for you as, you as you think about maybe your clutches on your goods? How much is it rooted in fear or in greed or in pride or some combination of them? What is the sin behind the sin? 
diagnosing our hearts is what Jesus is helping us do. And how do we determine in this life what we value? There's three, three simple ways to determine what you value. How do you spend your money? How do you spend your time? And how do you spend your thoughts? Our calendars reveal our priorities, how we spend our time. Our wallets reveal our priorities, how we spend our money. And our thought lives reveal our priorities, what we think about. What do you think about when you have nothing to think about at all? Where do you gravitate towards? What do you focus on? Oftentimes, our thoughts, I'm as guilty as any, we're thinking about our resources and how we can better manage them and, and how we can better save them. It, it's good to think wisely, but in a finite way. If you find most of your thought, your, your, the open thought real estate that you have, little as it may be between your work, your service in a local church, your investment in neighbors, your parenting, like what, the open real estate that you have in your thought life, what is it occupied by? If it's around like your resources, that should be like a red flag. Our priorities are revealed by what we spend our time on, our money on, and our thinking on. Jesus must be our ultimate treasure. He must be the pearl of greatest price, the treasure buried in that open field that he teaches on later on in Matthew chapter 13. The treasure buried in the field. Maybe you're familiar with this parable. A man goes out exploring, scouting out property. And in so doing, he sees something shiny out in the field. He gets his shovel out. Clank. It's a treasure chest. He doesn't own the field, but he knows there's treasure in that field. So what does he do? He goes and sells all that he has, and he buys that field. He must have that field. Why? Because there's treasure in it. It's worth everything that he has, giving up all of that, shelving all of it so that he can get the treasure in the field. That's what Jesus is. He's the treasure of all treasures, the pearl of greatest price, worth shelving every other priority in our life for him, for him. He's worth it all. He satisfies more than any other, never leaves us empty, fulfills us. The Apostle Paul writes in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 17 and 19, as for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be prideful, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainties of riches, but on God who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. They are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share, thus storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. What a complimentary passage to Matthew chapter 6, verses 19, 20, and 21. 1 Timothy 6, verses 17 and 19. A warning against focused, being focused on earthly riches and a calling towards investing in heavenly treasure. Diagnostic question number one, what do I treasure? Diagnostic question number two, where do I fix my eyes? Where do I fix my eyes? And Jesus says in verses 22 and 23, the eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. 
But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness? You can think of this part of Jesus' teaching as windows in a house, portals in a house. And the bigger, the clearer the windows are, the more light shines in on the house, providing vision and guidance and beauty to those who are in the house. When those windows are clear and clean, you see better, more beauty, more guidance. When those windows are cluttered and cloudy and dirty, you see less in the house. That's the illustration here. Windows in a house. Our windows in our spiritual houses need to be clean and healthy, as he says. Healthy eyes. What we take in, what we fix our attention and our gaze on must be good things. Because when we do, the whole house will have more light. The whole house will be more beautiful and healthy. What are you taking in through those two portals in your head? Good things, edifying things, uplifting things, or corrupt, harmful things. What are the condition of the windows in your spiritual house? Do they need some cleaning? Healthy eyes here. The word that Jesus used means singularly focused, undivided, not duplicitous, not divided among multiple things. It's singularly focused, focused on the right things. He's inviting us to be singularly focused on him, the true treasure, the true blessing. Paul says in Colossians 3, verse 1, If then you have been raised with Christ, see the things that are above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Seek heavenly things. Seek Christ who's seated at the right hand of God above all earthly powers. Seek him. Fix your gaze on him and watch him light up your whole life. Like clean windows in a house light up that house. Friends, what you fix your eyes on is what you're going to gravitate towards. I love to ride bikes with my kids, but it makes me really nervous because Cecile's getting better, Soren's okay, and Baby Dane's just starting on the Strider bike. And I remembered down on Hoyt Road where we live, this might have been two years ago, Laura and I were on a family bike ride, and Cecile's kind of wobbly on the bike. And... We're trying to stay close to the sidewalk, if not on the sidewalk, but sometimes walkers don't like that. So you kind of stay on the, the shoulder of the road. And suddenly she sees some friends on the left-hand side. She's on the right-hand side of the road. She sees some friends on the left-hand side. And I'm watching her, and her bike's going like this. She's, she's going to cross the road to her friends. Why? Because her eyes are fixed on her friends. And you, you know when you ride a bike, where you look is where you go. And Laura and I are like, Cecile, stop. There's, car, there's oncoming cars. Stop. She didn't even know she was going. But your eyes are going to go to what you, your body's going to go to what you fix your eyes on. And in the same way in this life, what you fix your gaze on is where you're going to go. It's what you're going to gravitate toward. That's what Jesus is cautioning us of here. What are you looking at? 
What are you fixed on? Be ever so careful about what you fix your eyes on, your attention. Hebrews 12, verse 2, fix your eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of your faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising its shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. We should treasure Christ. We should fix our eyes on Christ, because once we do, we're going to move towards Christ, like Cecile on her bike. What do I treasure? Diagnostic question number one. Where do I fix my eyes? Diagnostic question number two. Thirdly and finally, whom do I serve? Whom do I serve? See this in verse 24. Jesus says, no one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Again, the, the Aramaic word there is mammon, meaning material things. You can't serve God and material stuff. A disciple's loyalties cannot be divided. Friends, material things can enslave us. They can dictate our decisions. They can rule over us. Material things, not just money, but substances and sex, relationships, approval, status, education, titles, popularity, how far you're advancing in your career. These are all can be good things, but when we place undue focus on them, they become enslaving things. They become idols, and they ultimately keep us coming back, and they never deliver. They leave us unsatisfied. They are cruel masters, cruel slave masters, because these things keep us coming back and they leave us unsatisfied. They constantly overpromise and constantly underdeliver. That's what these cruel slave masters are of material things. And we falsely believe that we can serve them and God. Jesus is very clear it's a binary. You can't serve two masters. You're going to be devoted to one and despise the other. Yet we think, I can have a foot here, and I can have a foot here. I can serve the Lord, and I can serve myself and my pleasures. You can't do that. You're not going to go anywhere. You can't do that. It's one way, two feet, or the other way, two feet. That's what he's saying here. You can't serve two masters. Jesus alone is our good and faithful and kind master who will never leave us unsatisfied. We can go to him again and again and again, and he fills us up again and again. He causes our souls to flourish as we follow him, as we serve him, as we obey him. He's a good master, and he knows what's good for us. Would you follow him by faith? What path are you on today? Are you trying to straddle two paths you're not going to go anywhere. Two feet, one in front of the other, follow Christ. It's the invitation here. Follow the true king. See life through his lens. Operate out of his kingdom perspective. A second century letter provides a revealing observation about the perspective and priorities of Christians in the second century. 
It's called the letter to Diognetus. In the letter, a gentleman makes this observation about the lives of Christians and the perspective that they have on life. He says, these Christians share their table with all, but not their beds. Isn't that interesting? These Christians, a non-Christian is making this observation. These Christians share their table with all. Exceedingly generous. Anybody can come to the table of a Christian. Exceedingly hospitable. But they don't do that with their beds. Exceedingly chaste and upright, morally. And Tim Keller writes, yet we live in a culture that wants to share its bed with all, but not its table. How strangely compelling it is when Christians live out kingdom priorities and from a kingdom perspective, you will stand out in a good way. Just like in this letter, these Christians are standing out. My goodness, they share their table with all. They're so generous, but not their beds. They're so generous, but they're not promiscuous. Do you see the radiant witness there? It's being picked up on in the second century. And so should it be in our culture, which is not that much different than second century Rome. Not generous, highly promiscuous. But the kingdom is very generous, not promiscuous. Kingdom perspectives, kingdom priorities, that's what Jesus is about. When Christ is your master and you follow his ways, you will be compellingly strange in a hurting, needful world. A radiant witness to a world that's desperate for light. Live out these kingdom perspectives, and we're going to see more of them as we continue to march through the Sermon on the Mount. The British pastor in the 17th and 18th century, Matthew Henry, once wrote this after he was mugged on the streets. He came home, he got in his journal, and he said, Lord, I thank you that I have never been robbed before. This is my first time. I thank you that although they took my money, they spared my life. I thank you that although they took everything in my wallet, it wasn't very much. And I thank you, Lord, that it was I who robbed, that it was I who was robbed, not I who robbed. A difficult circumstance seen through a kingdom perspective. Material resources held on too loosely, he processed that in a healthy way. Friends, follow the Lord Jesus. He is your good and kind king, and he will never lead you astray. And as you follow him, he will give you his ethic, his kingdom vision, so that you can walk through life rightly. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for your grace. Thank you for your word. Thank you for the resources that you entrust to us for a short time. You're a good provider. Lord, would you help us discern our hearts as we manage those resources? Help us to hold them with an open hand, not with white knuckles. Help us to be generous to those in need. Help us to be wise in how we utilize those resources. Lord, would you guard our hearts from worshiping those things? They cannot satisfy us. And they will enslave us when we try to worship them. Or may we worship you above all. Follow you as our true king. And Lord, would you empower us to reflect your character as we follow you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.